You're listening to Cinema Snarks. I'm Larry. I'm Ren. And we are going to tell you how we really feel. And today we're telling you how we feel about Candyman. Yes, the 2021 version of the film directed and co-written by Nia DaCosta. Candyman tells the story of a struggling artist who finds inspiration in an old tale that haunts his neighborhood. But as he dives deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole, he soon finds out there may be more to this myth than he had originally anticipated. So, Candyman, the same name as the 1992 film, but it serves kind of like the 2018 Halloween film, in which it's actually a sequel to the film in which it shares a name, while also pretty much serving as a reboot for the franchise. <laughs> now, you haven't seen Halloween 2018 yet, correct? I have not. That is going to be our, <laughs> so we're planning to do, I've only seen the original Halloween, so we're planning uh, for- And has lots of movie watching ahead of her. <laughs> the of October for Halloween, Ren's going to be uh, watching all of the Halloween movies so that I ha- can have an opinion on them. So we can't really compare that aspect of it, but you have seen Candyman from 1992. I have. You, uh, not, well, I was going to say not last year because that was pandemic year. The year before <laughs> that, mm-hmm. uh, you brought to my attention how few of the like classic horror films I had actually like seen. And I'm not opposed to horror films. I think I just don't, they're not the first thing I think of to watch. So I just hadn't seen a lot of them. And I was like, this is a big blind spot in my like film history knowledge. I better get on top of this. And like, I, I see a lot of the more like indie films, but yeah, those like classic mm-hmm. horror films I just like hadn't seen. And then last year for Halloween, I wrote a show that was basically a spoof of like classic horror film tropes. So I spent a very long time between 2019 and 2020, just like watching all of the like, classic Halloween <laughs> films. Uh, but Candyman was one that I watched in like 2019. And that was one of those. So when I started watching these classic horror films, my my bar was kind of low. I just kind of like assumed, I don't know why, the originals are all really good. Twenty sequels. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea that Candyman had like 20 singles. I just knew that it existed. Um, didn't have like a, a ton of understanding of even what it was. It sounds silly. Like it doesn't sound like it's going to yeah. be like a scary film. Um, but it's really good. It's probably one of the, I think it's, mm, it's probably the most artistic, like all the way around like horror film of that particular era i mean i guess when it came out 1992 yeah i guess that's it's a little little bit bit post halloween and yeah friday the 13th but it does feel like it might be and i'm sure there's like some horror film nerds that are gonna be like absolutely not uh but it does feel like it maybe is kind of like a slow uh kind of a um a uh like a precursor to the like kind of slow burn and the like idea of horror to reflect larger social horrors yeah Yeah, that's definitely a staple mark i think when it comes to Candyman, is horror as a genre has always played with lots of subtext uh one way or another they like to infuse it either with outdated moral lessons or (laughs) they also like to inundate it with just like these sneaky little messages you're talking about like the final girls that like don't have sex and don't get killed and the ones where like sluts always get murdered first well particularly that started i mean halloween we see that present uh there but particularly original final girl yeah i mean and she's let's be real we can debate on who our favorites are she's still the most iconic girl yeah she's the iconic final girl (laughs) but it started there and then especially when we got into the 80s of course 
society as a whole really went into Puritan mode, AIDS, war on drugs. Um, 70s was a goddamn free for all. They're like, yeah. oh, disco, woo woo. So, so they really doubled like, down. Condom, what's that? So yeah. the 80s, they were like, all right, guys, we're going to need to like yeah. simmer down. Ronald Reagan is the president yeah. now. And- Reagan. <laughs> so I think horror also reflected that and they really kind of doubled down on the don't drink, don't do drugs, don't have sex, because if you do, this serial killer's gonna get you. <laughs> it's it's just, that's never that's never like the actual like ostensible reason that the like the serial killers are always just like fucking crazy. They're just murdering whoever is there. So but there's this subconscious thing of like, mm, well, those irresponsible children, that's uh-huh. what happens. And yeah, the final girl is typically the the level-headed virgin who is able to navigate her way through all of this. And of course, we poke a lot of fun at this in movies like Scream, which kind of ushered in a new era of the slasher film. Um, uh, Cabin in the Woods, I think, did a great job of like- Cabin in the Woods. Really exactly. Yeah, really tropes yeah like (laughs) full-on like let's look at tropes yeah but when you look at it none were quite as overt in a social commentary as Candyman was Mm -hmm. and honestly we, we didn't see much for a while after Candyman either and it kind of sits in this weird place of almost a cult classic type of horror because it's it's not one that a lot of people put up there with the likes of Friday the 13th and Halloween Mm -hmm. and Nightmare on Elm Street Uh, but it's as you said you had heard of it it's it's one that stayed long enough and it got those sequels so it stuck around it's just not on the like mega level (laughs) as some of the other slashers um yeah absolutely i i feel like this is honestly i think it's on kind of a a different level from halloween and friday the 13th and these other those other and chucky and things like that like um it it just uh in terms of like a horror film right like we're talking about like oh these ostensible sort of uh, like social commentaries Candyman actually takes like a real problem and like real things that exist and are like actually horrifying and it isn't a morality tale in that sort of way it's in a look at this crazy fucked up shit that has happened (laughs) and like it just kind of like you know plays with that I really enjoy the way that it plays with that idea of how evil is generated you know but it's like the whole thing that like american horror story bases everything on is like there's like these you know evil acts breed evil energies sort of idea and Candyman's one of the first ones to like really look at this evil as a a force as a like magic sort of thing and I think uh, as, as we talked about it we'll kind of let that be a good segue point into the current film we both really enjoyed that this new film took that and just gave it more depth because it's definitely there, but we don't really get to delve into all of that. And this film doesn't really take its time to do it. It doesn't like I don't feel really preach at you the whole time. It just fleshes out this mythology and gives you more tools to adequately at least explain uh, <laughs> this idea behind the horrors that stain a community or stain a a system it it does seem to so it's like ostensibly like a sequel to the original Mm -hmm. Candyman, but i think it also kind of like it adjusts the lore of Candyman mm-hmm. into the context of its new plot line and the new like purpose. Like, it, it, the um, we're not going to spoil anything. It, it's yeah, just it's it's slightly different. It doesn't. It's not. It's not a straight line from like the plot and the like specifics of the original Candyman to this one. Um, I just wanted to say part of the reason that I liked I was interested in this one is it was it's written by Clive Barker and like I I think that's probably another piece of like the puzzle of why it, it is so good is it, it's not like film dudes that want to make a slasher film it's like a a horror dude who just writes horror stories all the time and that's just his jam and they like took one of his like horror stories and turned it into this film yes it is a sequel by character standard and by 
situations. I mean, we we directly reference timeline wise. Yes. yes, we directly reference that first one, yes. and then they just. It's almost like one of those moments where they add to the story which changes what we knew type of thing like okay you didn't get the full you know <laughs> idea of the I, myth that was something i really liked about it is it seems like especially right now every a good portion of the like horror movie just reboots in general sequels they it's a reboot right it's like we're just gonna kind of remake this old thing and this is it's kind of refreshing to have something that actually takes the source material and like acknowledges it and says, this was a sick ass movie and we want to take what was great about this film and continue on in the context of this new one. So like, I would you like get- to think they hopefully learned from what they did in the 2000s with A Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and most infamously those Rob Zombie Halloween films. Um, where they completely just retconned these <laughs> horror icons to give them these horrible backstories that nobody wants. I think it, I think it's a testament to how bad it is that like I don't I haven't watched them, but I know that it just like goes off the rails and makes no <laughs> sense after a while. <laughs> just like especially Rob Zombies. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I Do guess like I think Mike Myers is like magic or something like that. I think that's just horrible. And then they add in this like sexual assault stuff it's just terrible i i really don't like those raw zombie hey, i'm really films. excited to watch all of them uh yeah <laughs> but i think maybe hopefully uh we're starting to be like okay how can we how can we reinvigorate these franchises in other ways and i think Candyman works too because again it's not one it does have quite a few sequels but they're not getting like the theatrical releases like all of these other ones it's not like just constantly the same guy over and over every few years we're getting i literally had no idea that Candyman handed any sequels i was like oh how nice just a good like piece of horror yeah we were talking about like what movies we should talk about today and you were like like i was like with the Candyman discussion you're like oh like the Candyman sequels (laughs) what what they oh, there to. are. Okay. No idea. I mean, and I, I think that it, that in and of itself is kind of interesting because, like, I absolutely knew that there was a million sequels to every other one of these, you know, Friday the Thirteenth, blah, 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 blah. but like Candyman has its own little like separate world, I guess, yeah. its separate level. I mean, again, it does kind of come from a different time period, but I don't. Ch- the Chucky movies came out Chucky in what nineteen eighty nine, not like, that late eighties. Yeah, not not that that much. And even other ones that came out around the same time that are around, I would say probably in the same Mm -hmm. tier level as Mm -hmm. Candyman, like Hellraiser that has a million and one sequels. Like there's a lot of those, that level of horror that just, they just spawn sequel after sequel after sequel. (laughs) But with this film, first, I just, I want to talk about how beautiful it is. Uh, yeah. Just from a filmmaking standpoint, Nia DaCosta is the director here, and I love what she did, and and the director of photography both, um, with the look of this movie. It's gorgeous. <laughs> I that's <laughs> I was gonna spoil this real real quick. I love that at the very beginning, and you you like leaned over and told me that you were totally tricked. That at the very <laughs> beginning, all of the like credits are reversed as if you're like looking at it in the mirror and like i immediately was like oh it's like the mirror like with the candy man and apparently larry was like oh screwed up the projection <laughs> i've been burned twice this year already to where we had to like leave or wait hours because they oh, screwed no. up the projector so that's twice in the exact same theater that we watched it in um and so i was like you, you had already like you were I was like not again <laughs> did you all mess up another one no, I just, but I didn't, I didn't get up or, or act hastily. I was like, I need to see, I need to see a shot of the film itself before <laughs> I actually get mad. But well, yeah. I do feel like, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I do feel like they really play with the mirror thing a lot more in this movie than they did in the original Candyman. Like, I don't really, I, I feel like the Candyman thing was like, you, you basically like summoned him and then he was just around. It didn't feel like it was as much very centered on the mirror aspect um i don't know if maybe i'm just misremembering it but the mirror theme was really really hammered in in this one which i 
Yeah, I'm not opposed to. I think it. I think and it. I love how they play a really cool cinematography. Yeah, um, there was say, so I love many- that they use that to their advantage to mm-hmm. create new looks and like more inventive ways to really play with yes. mirrors. And also from a uh, person who's ever tried to like film near a mirror before, that is kind of it's kind of a little bit of impressive filmmaking when you just have mirrors everywhere because you have to make sure that like. You can see everything, but also the mirror doesn't see you and all of your cameras and everything that's happening. It's actually really, it's kind of tricky. A lot of times they just like don't actually have a mirror at all. It just like looks kind of like a mirror. Yeah. Um, But yes, I thought the mirror trope was really cool. And that, and, and that created that really neat cinematography, these really moody sort of just like establishing shots of Chicago. And like, even so, it was pointed out because I hadn't really noticed the opening to the original Candyman is like a bird's eye view of of that neighborhood of the city, and then this one does like a Cabrini upward, Green. yeah, Cabrini Green, but like an upward view at the new city. So it's almost like an inverse look at the same stuff as the first one, which I thought again playing with that idea of mirroring. Um, I love I it. Really like, cool. I love when directors do that where it's like this super (laughs) this very specific idea that they had and they know that nobody's probably gonna like notice it there's gonna be like two people that see it and they're like it's this thing from the original (laughs) thing and like I appreciate that yeah it it does seem very much like she loved the original film and really wanted to like watched it over and over again and had like a lot of love for it and a lot of um desire to bring what was important about that film to her into the remake and we discussed this as well and i think it bleeds over from the original i think that she does a great job at replicating the atmosphere yeah so it's not like a remake in that sense you know she's not copying the original film really at all when it comes to like story beats or anything but they feel very similar it's it was it was kind of a weird thing to try and explain because you just feel it it's very it's interesting because like horror movies they have different feels right like you know we're talking about halloween has a different feel from Candyman. chucky has a different feel from friday the 13th like they're similar they're in similar genres and Candyman has this very like moody, thoughtful, kind of mysterious sort of vibe that I I think was what made it unique in that context of the other horror films of that time period. And yeah, she did an amazing job of recreating that. I think it has a lot to do with the the pacing of of the shots. Uh, The music is a big part of it that like the soundtrack was fantastic i mean anybody who does sound (laughs) will tell you that horror movies are made in the sound like if you (laughs) do not nail the sound design of your horror movie it's gonna suck that's actually so i might be i started and i came up in the theater world and started as in sound design and the shows that i started doing when i like started my own theater company i started with horror shows because i i really just wanted to sound design a horror show because they're there's it's so much fun and it's there's so much to play with there and you get to spend a lot more time um messing with people's emotions you don't get to do that with a lot of other things um like i've said it before i think when we watched uh midsummer one of the things i really like about horror is i think that it is one of it i think in terms of uh film you get to do the most filmy things with horror films you really get to play with cinematography you get to put a lot of symbolism in there you really get to play with all of the the colors and the the tension and the sound like you really get to mess around with how things visually and orally uh a-u-r-a-l-l-y um (laughs) affect your audience um in horror films Honestly, it makes me frustrated that sometimes that horror gets like, I don't know, the like trash bin treatment of cinema. 
Well, you know, the problem is that like, it's also very easy to just make like gore fests, which and, like, don't get me wrong. I love a good gore fest as long as like the gore is creative. Um, oh, and we can talk about that in Candyman as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, you get, it's also really easy to make B horror yes, films. There's like a easy. lot of B horror films, but then when you make like an artistic horror film, those are like, I think those are some of the most artistic films that are made period. It's true. Yeah. Because honestly, there's no genre that relies more on mood and atmosphere mm -hmm. than horror. And as you said, like sound design plays a huge role, mm -hmm. probably, I, I mean, I guess you could say musicals, possibly war films and horror are like the top things in which sound design is essential to yeah. creating your film. If that fails, your film is going to fail because mm -hmm. it's just not gonna work. Yeah. And then, yeah, everything from makeup to costuming to prosthetics, everything yeah. about horror should be like, filmmaking yes. <laughs> every like piece of the the filmmaking puzzle has to be like on point if you're gonna do and it I think maybe that's why it's so easy to fumble is because yeah. you have to have all these pieces so many bad ones and if you don't and if you don't nail them then it comes across cheesy or you know if you fumble these things that aren't up to doing what you need to do then it's like okay well that was a schlock horror movie yeah my favorite sound design story all of all time is how when they did early screenings of Halloween before they had added in all of the sound uh, that uh, that audiences laughed. They just thought it was like a comedy that it was just so funny um, and they it didn't get scary until that like iconic yeah. orchestration was added to the background <laughs> that really made people go yeah, good um, created the right amount. And of that's the thing, especially with like Candyman is they also really play with the idea that he is a ghost it is like a mm -hmm. spirit and we get a lot of shots where we go in and out of like having him present and then switching vantage points and he's gone and we just see like the dead just, body or like the bodies floating that's something that i love about Candyman is like i i I think ghosts are the scariest fucking thing of the like things that are scary. I think ghosts are the scariest. That is just the thing that gets me and is like terrifying. So a ghost that can actually murder you is extra scary to me. So I think that's what like Mike Myers is like, oh, that's like that's a dude, right? Texas Chainsaw Max. It's a dude like dudes that are running after me. I mean, like that's scary, but it's also like that is a stoppable force. I don't know how to stop somebody who's already dead. <laughs> Ren also has like a weird love of serial killers so I think yes <laughs> well I have a lot of I've done a lot of research so I feel like I'm more confident about my ability to avoid being murdered by a human yeah so when she sees <laughs> men running around with knives and chainsaws and stuff not as scary for her but uh yeah one of the things I really liked about Candyman is m multiple times in the film you have people that are like absolutely not i will not do that thing that you do in a horror movie and ends up getting you killed like i will not be summoning candy man do not absolutely not i am not going down into that dark basement that's just dumb i appreciated that yeah. ability to um it was just that like a little bit of poking fun and enough to make me go thank you right and because yeah. as you're watching candy man i like literally turned to larry in the theater and i was like these fucking people that just keep on saying the candy there's two murders and they're like oh hey what what is wrong with these people and i love it because again it does kind of poke fun at tropes that happen and it it's one of those instances that you can use a I guess a more positive stereotype of race to your advantage of we have it we have the means like white people at it again white people doing stupid shit all the time yeah. and Candyman utilizes that and actually flips the trope because you're always like why would the black people be the first friend to die like I'm sorry everyone's <laughs> gonna like I'm out peace yeah uh this depiction is a lot more accurate to what I think a lot of the situations would be like uh hell no <laughs> I don't I I used to live in Philadelphia there's like one movie theater in particular that if you go see a horror movie uh in, in this area with a very large black community so most of the people in the movie theater uh they are just yelling at the screen the whole time <laughs> telling everyone to stop no. 
please stop. Like, I just, yeah. I agree. They're absolutely right. So it's like, yeah, what, why have, why has the black friend been the one that always dies first? It no, doesn't. The, the black people are the ones <laughs> who, I mean, like, realistically, the black, pe- black people are the ones who are always running, right? Let's be going to the, like, seriousness of it, like, which is what they kind of dive into is that black people are used to being chased. They are used to being yeah. the object of, at real life horror yeah um and uh so they're they're not they don't mess around just like hanging out with ghosts and shit in the mirror which is which is what i really liked about which which they really dig into in Candyman. but there is it's one of the best examples of like of like artful examples of privilege that i think you could like it's just you watch these white people that can't imagine that anything could possibly happen to them. They just live in this world where um, there there are no consequences for any of their actions. Um, And then then you have all these black people that are well aware that there are consequences to their fucking actions. Um, And they do it in a very articulate manner too of like the the white people who do this that mm -hmm. are like completely dismissive of whatever's, you know, this myth that's being thrown at them. And the white people are also assholes. They're they're the worst kinds of white people. I think they do a really good job (laughs) in this film. I was telling Larry, like, so, you know, um, the main character is he's an artist, you know, he's a painter. And so a lot of this movie is set in the art world, which I think is an amazing fucking place to set this kind of a plot because the art world is it is 100% just dictated by what the people in power have decided is good. It is completely fucking arbitrary. It has nothing to do with like your skill or your ability to like actually work your way to the top. It is literally, I need this dude over here that runs a gallery to put my work in front of the people who are going to write more shit about it. And it's, uh, you know, I, I love art. I love going to art museums. I'm not saying that like art people suck or anything. I am saying that the industry is got like, it's just, you know, I could write, there are literally books and books and books and books and books about the completely arbitrary nature of the value of art. Um, and so it was a great place to put, um, a couple of black people who are effectively trying to convey that their art has worth and that they themselves have worth. Of um, course, the history of art is also, you know, it's not, a, it's elitist in several different ways. It's including nationalism uh, in its thing, other than just, you know, race and thievery, as we all know as well, <laughs> stealing concepts from places that are not yours or ideas yes. that are not yours. Uh, that's, a, that's prevalent in all of the arts, yeah. certainly. Um, but yeah, I agree. Uh, it certainly is a good, a good kickoff for this plot. Say that was one of the only unbelievable things that I found in the movie was that uh, the artist, he basically creates this um, art piece uh, where it's a mirror and then you open the mirror and then all of the paintings that he's drawn to kind of represent Candyman in this lore is inside of the mirror. And everybody's like, no, it's so tried, it's so overdone. And like, that's bullshit. Everybody's all about immersive <laughs> things right now. If that showed up in an art gallery, everybody would be like, oh my God, I love how interactive it is oh it's wonderful i love the concept it's so dramatic like people would fucking love that shit like they would eat it right fucking up and there would Um, be dead people pretty quick i feel because i feel like they would they would go with it they would 100 percent. so i like i i like i'm like wondering about like did was it intentional that she made something that actually is really cool or is she just so good an artist that she couldn't make something stupid (laughs) That was like probably <laughs> stupid, and people might like mock as being like, right? Yeah. I, my, my thinking is that she wanted it to be something that was relatively cool, and that people just like were shitty about the concept that they, you know, oh, gentrification. Like, I, I loved that. I really enjoyed the way that they kind of they had these art people basically saying that the concept of talking about gentrification is just so overdone. (laughs) It's still a thing that happens. (laughs) All the time. 
all the time. <laughs> Constantly, everywhere you look, you'll find examples of it yeah. in every major city across the country. Um, <laughs> okay, so also really quick, I want to backtrack to something you were talking about with gore, right? So I love yes. I love gore porn. Um, I and I, that's a weird way to say that. Um, but like torture porn. Eh, that also feels weird. Yeah, I, that's the that's the phrase I guess I've heard for so damn long that it's true. It rings it true weird, to my though. ear. It's odd. So I've I've done right. I've done a lot of special effects makeup things like that so i'm i'm fascinated why people's ability to make gore happen um especially like you to create this i this vision of something happening that makes you physically go or just this really creative way of ripping people apart into like i think mortal Kombat does an awesome job of like finding new ways to like murder people and so like because special effects have gotten so good um, it really has gotten all about like the most completely creative ways you can come up with to murder people, um, which I enjoy watching and seeing people's creativity. <laughs> like, look at this crazy. Oh, look, it's a, like a saw blade went flying through the air and through their head. Crazy. Um, but uh, this movie doesn't uh, really lean into that as much. Um, a lot more happens off screen and i know larry you had mentioned that some people were upset about that yeah and i think i disagree obviously because i'm bringing it up and i'm on the cinema starks talking I about disagree it. too um they, like that was what the way that the gore was depicted made it really really interesting and made it different and it wasn't about all of the gore there was just these really creative artistic ways of looking at the gore and incorporating things and i have never been it has been a really long time since i have seen gore that actually made me uncomfortable and they have this thing this like skin thing that is so uncomfortable the whole thing is like i'm like getting goosebumps now like just thinking about it and that is someone who did a really really good job of taking something that it's it's subtle but it is like like actually that's another thing is there's something to say about a skin thing that is somewhat familiar, you know, to all of us. Scabs are mm-hmm. something that are familiar. Even having a scab pulled off or something is very familiar to pretty much everyone. We can identify with it. But to make it, one, look realistic enough, but yet gross enough, but it's like stays in believability. I think there's something to say about that rather than just oh. always the like slicing of a head open, which is something we yes. theoretically like we can conceptualize, but you know, we're not seeing heads get sliced off and stuff in our everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> so they did that with all the scabs and I looked at the name. So there's this thing and I've heard people talk about it a few times. It's called trypophobia. And it's basically like this thing that makes some people deeply uncomfortable. It's like those kind of holy textures <laughs> makes people feel like uh, awkward. Like it's like those seed pods and things like sometimes just looking at them just like freaks certain people out. And they created this holy texture on somebody's skin. And I just think that's that's so smart. It's such a clever way to make people uncomfortable with your makeup design, but yeah. in like a, a simple way, in a in a visceral, but simple, not like leaning super into creative, like how do yeah. I rip people's bodies apart? Um, so I, I just thought, you know, again, we we're talking about horror films where you basically everything has to be on point. I thought that everything in this film was just on point. There wasn't think- anything that bothered me oh and the puppets love the shadow puppets ren loves a pu- good puppet i love me some puppets the, well the shadow puppets are also they were a part of the original candy man right yeah um so so that's a great thing to kind of like carry mm-hmm. over and and it's a common theme i've, I've seen a lot in like horror mm-hmm. uh folk tales it's commonly puppets in general are pretty horror they are pretty we, we get freaked out by them puppets easily puppets yeah. and dolls yeah and the, and there were so many very cool 
uh, like and they the theme was carried through really really well with the puppetry and they had that whole thing at the ending credits and at least people were leaving during the credits and there's this beautiful shadow puppetry video happening and i'm like what the hell is wrong with people shut your ass down <laughs> listen adults see puppets and their brains turn off because they're like children and it doesn't matter that you were just at fucking candy man and obviously these puppets are not for children people's brains just turn off and they're like puppets are for kids i'm gonna go now yeah. well i don't care about puppets we don't understand <laughs> any of the implications i'm okay we're gonna think. <laughs> but i think we'd be a little bit remiss if we didn't just touch on our cast as well yeah. uh first off i just have to start off because i am perpetually a thirsty beach up in here uh yaya abdul mateen looked amazing I'm glad As you just knew his name like bam. <laughs> God, that guy's hot. Agreed. It's yes. like, um, <laughs> Lord have mercy. Like, there's a scene early on. He comes about that bathroom, and you're sure. just like, oh, yes, please, Neil. Oh, damn. <laughs> this is and why I we need woman directors. And I love to because Tiana Paris is also gorgeous, and she looks great in this film too. But I love in that particular scene, she is just an average woman. She's got her hair wrapped up. She's got just, uh, you know, she looks Hello, like she's ready daddy. for bed. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's no sexy like, oh yeah, no. And he comes out of that bathroom, and you're like, oh damn. But. She was also uh, a really good. Um, she was a great character and i think i enjoyed she subverted a lot of the um yeah. the the female lead in a horror movie kind of final girl tropes um yeah she was great i thought she was, she was really great. good i thought they also had a really good chemistry um mm -hmm. the brother also was wonderful uh he he provided like that's the thing as you mentioned it with the characters being like mm. Nah, I'm good and walking away. Yeah. This film does a lot of really good, like, comedy beats. So, because sometimes in horror, it, with those comedy beats obviously can just ruin the mood. Like, again, horror is all about creating that atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I think this film dropped them at good times, whether it yeah. be with that brother character or those characters just being like, I'm out of here, <laughs> whatever yeah. it, it was. It was really, it was employed really effectively to make you like the characters that you are watching as opposed to just like, jarring you in the middle of uh what you're watching and, and sometimes that that is an effective use of comedy I, there a lot i think a really good horror comedy person is able to like pull the tension string and then snap it with a joke in just the right way um and this this show this movie did do that in a few ways but it also just like had fun jokes that yeah. were in there that weren't intended to do anything but like convey the types of people that these people are and it's kind of like make you enjoy the world that you were in with these real life humans as opposed awesome. to yeah. like like and i think that's some place where it's like definitely improved because i definitely don't think that virginia madsen's character in the original Candyman is like super relatable at all like no. she's she's kind of like this i don't know she's a grad student and she's like you just don't know very much about like yeah. her you know, her husband's a douchebag that's about it and like yeah you don't get you don't get to really identify with her a lot you don't even really get to identify with the Candyman character like you hear their background yeah there's just no connection with any of the characters really in the original Candyman. but in this Candyman, yeah you feel something for all of them there's even as you're watching the Anthony McCoy character kind of like slowly losing his mind, he has lots of moments where he's charming and you like him and you understand why Brianna, who's the, the Tayana Parrish character, likes him as well. He's hot and like funny and cute and like charming i love i love he goes in to get like the um he's romance he's just slight flirting not even flirting just like giving her a look he's like i'm sexy you want to give me things here librarian <laughs> this woman is just like she <laughs> comes back up and it's like oh i don't God. know i absolutely would have been that woman like <laughs> 
oh yeah how did you yeah. find this Weird. <laughs> yeah i thought colvin domingo was a lot of fun in this movie he gets to be like yeah. a little bit a little bit weird um yeah. a little weirder than he usually is in films that i've seen but even as you mentioned like the critic woman i thought did great yes. everybody just portrayed the role they were brought in to do very well there was nobody who just like took you out to be like what the who the hell's this like <laughs> and none of the um none of the actors is like a super well-known actually honestly the only one was tiana parish and like it was i'm not gonna lie it was a little distracting for me because i was like i know i've seen this woman i know i saw her in mad men but there was another thing more recently that i saw her in and i spent like the whole time looking at her face trying to remember <laughs> where i'd seen her from which I didn't do with any of the other characters, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, you may have, I was like, I don't know. He's, he has his face covered in a lot of it. But yeah, 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 is from Aquaman, Ren. And he will be in Aquaman too as well. <laughs> he's the black, Aquaman. the black manta. Um, he wears, okay. he's, he's, the, <laughs> he's the attack from the land, basically, when Aquaman okay, goes sure. up into Italy. But anyway, uh, <laughs> secondary villain, obviously, Patrick Wilson was the main. But <laughs> yeah, so I think we're both in agreement. We both came out really enjoying the film. Am I right, Ren? For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. real quick, while we're talking about uh, actors, quick shout out to Vanessa Williams, not yes. Vanessa Williams. Uh, Williams, who was in the original Candyman and was also in this Candyman, and looks like she has not aged a day in 20 years. Say, 30 years? We want to talk about looking good. She <laughs> looks good. Like, yeah. I was watching it thinking this woman looks very young to be his his mother. Oh, wow. <laughs> she is old enough to be his mother. Wow. Also, give her some more roles, I think. I thought she was so good in this very small role. She's not in the film that much, but she's so good. She has such a presence about her when she's on that screen. Yeah, she's great. Anyway, so. Yes. We now, like Candyman. You should yes. go see it. Now, that leads us to a little bit larger of a discussion. It's more of a free flow than typically we have more of a set theme. But this week, or this review, and our upcoming review are going to be a little bit more open. We're just basically talking about how diversity has evolved. So we did talk a lot about Candyman, so we're not really going to discuss that one as much because we, we got into it quite a bit at the beginning of this review. But that was one of the first w films in the horror genre that not only had a largely Black cast, though our main focus is a white woman, um, but... <laughs> Which they definitely talk about in Candyman. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> we, people die, one white lady dies in the hood, and everybody knows about it. Yes. <laughs> um, but where our villain is also black, um, and it's not like a oh this horrible black person killing white people type thing, uh, and that more so talks about a race issue. That I think that's what really sets Candyman is what it's saying. So horror has had a weird a weird trajectory when it comes to all types of diversity it's kind of been there they've always like teetered on yeah. wanting to push boundaries so like uh, like i was saying uh night of the living dead uh, the main character is is a black guy uh, the, the like main person and it was a black guy and a white woman in a couple and um oh my god george romero he didn't pick a black guy for any reason other than he was the best actor, which I kind of love. Mm -hmm. um, and there's definitely something to be said for these um, these horror films that we have now that can kind of um, contextualize black trauma um, in the world of horror. But I also think it's very important for black people to also just be normal people that experience normal thing well i guess zombie is not super normal uh, but you know you <laughs> but know, to get like, those films to get yeah. zombie films to get werewolves or to a white person on film can also happen to a black person on film right sure whatever the case yeah. is yeah so that's that's kind of the thing right like we we would love to see a, a group of black teenagers trying to figure out how mm -hmm. to kill freddy krueger which yeah. we haven't seen 
It's we always a bunch of the white kids. We've now, gotten, to be fair, we just talked about the the white kids are the stupid ones. Uh, I will the- say Freddy Krueger is definitely one, though. Everybody has to sleep. So yes, that's he true. is a lot more amiable to any group anywhere in the world. Whereas like Jason, again, you got to be out in the woods. And- <laughs> Snooping uh, around some damn camp. Camp, which <laughs> have to be around camps, huh? Uh, I mean, Friday the Thirteenth is economic sort of level you want to be at to be at summer camp. But that one, I guess, has its own place in history. It's one of the few female killers that we have, just straight up female care oh. killers. And the first Friday the Thirteenth, spoil Friday the Thirteenth that came out forty years ago. I was gonna say, Brent, did you not watch the first one, or did you watch the second one? No, no, no. I watched the first one. I think oh, I was like, too. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, did yeah. you just skip straight to Jason no, no, being the killer? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding you for spoiling <laughs> okay. that it's Jason where he's mom at the end. Well, it's very few still to this day. Very few people of color as the killers. Very few females as yeah. the killers. It's still mostly ominous white dudes as like Which serial is super killers. Weird because it like it feels like. It no, it literally is very early on. They they make a diverse, interesting choice, and then they slide it over into the boring. Just as uh, the whole cast is white all the time, it's very weird, right? Like the first war, he's it, the killer is a fifty year old woman, an <laughs> obviously <laughs> underrepresented character all the way around. Actor mm-hmm. like gender and age. Um, same thing with Night of the Living Dead. You have a, a black person, and then like every like Walking Dead is like almost all white people. I'm not a huge fan of zombie movies in general, so I can't give you a lot of references. Um, all of, most of them, I mean, and that's the thing. We were talking about the final girl, which is obviously a huge yeah. horror trope. It's the slasher trope is mm-hmm. the final girl, which is I think good and a little bit negative. I most, I mean, final girls are fun to root for. You like seeing a woman kind of find her power throughout the film and come out alive Uh, (laughs) as everybody around her falls and dies. Right. And like, like, that's the thing that we have to like, I have to, you know, say snaps for in like the context of film history is the final girls are some of the first women that have any agency whatsoever. They're the ones that like look around and are like, holy shit, all of my friends are dead. Now I need to figure out how to leave. Right. As opposed to and their friends up until that point are just like blindly walking into murder scenarios. Yeah. So they, they're the smart ones. They're the fighters. There's the one, they're the ones that like come out on top, which is, you know, not, you don't see that. You don't get as many female action heroes like that, that are like the badasses that figure it out. And one of them, one of the most iconic female action heroes started in mostly a horror film with Alien. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Ripley is a final girl and yeah, she's like an action badass, but she it had is, to figure it out and survive. It first. is fascinating how we managed, like film manages to subvert a trope and then when you're like, what well, cat laid action films? And you like point to this super, super famous one that came out a really long time ago. And they're like, no, but we don't mean that. <laughs> it's like, or you're James Cameron, who's like, matter. oh. Yeah, it doesn't matter how many times you prove that Black yeah. people can be the lead in your horror film, or women are capable of being smart and carrying an action film that it still just keeps on diverting back to this white male patriarchal sort of vision of the world. And even Um, the final girl, we were trying to think of it and I had a hard time. Like it took me a hot minute to really think and go through to think of non-white final girls. So so, still a mostly white women's club as the final girl. You did identify one from uh, the escape room movie, and then I identified a final boy, <laughs> which is because, rare in and of itself. I know. Well, so I remembered uh, if you've ever seen um, House on Haunted Hill, uh, Tay Diggs and the the girl who's the final girl, but both of them managed to get out alive. So there's the final girl and a final guy, which is actually a little bit of a interesting, different trope. Um, yeah, to have a couple have, like. Alive. AVP, like Alien vs. Predator, has a black 
final girl um okay there's like a few instances in a slasher film that's really rare and then you know i was trying to think if there's even any like hispanic i can think of girls um yeah i I actually was thinking like i think there's a pretty decent amount of uh i'm not there's not enough obviously we do have some like black we have an awesome black horror voice out there right now and is also elevating other black horror filmmakers mm-hmm. um but i really don't think we get enough horror from the latino community like a- a- apart from so weird. mexican films that are horror films and you know actually like from latin set america yeah yeah so that say, like- when they said it in the u.s even mexican filmmakers don't cast Latino people in their leads, yes. partially probably because they're trying to get their yeah. film made. Like Guillermo del Toro has made, you know, a history of, of filmmaking in the horror um, Labyrinth is like, huh? I don't know if Pan's Labyrinth is horror or just fucked up. <laughs> but like you said, uh, Edgar Romero, there's a, there's a lot of Mexican voices, certainly mm-hmm. running around the horror aspects, but they don't really get in there. We also talked about the whitewashing, and I think that's what has kept Asian people out of Leeds, right. is instead of watching the original films, we remake most Japanese horror films, and then we cast Sarah Michelle Gellar, and we cast Naomi Watts. You know what's fucked up is when they cast all of the main characters as white people, but the monsters are still Asian people. That's kind of fucked up. They're like, aren't these little Asian girls scary? Hey, they were scary (laughs) with the entire cast was terrifying. (laughs) Here's the other thing is uh, Asian people have fucking terrifying folklore. Just (laughs) absolutely horrifying folklore there's this one <laughs> I, I do a lot of research on horror and things there's this thing called a crashu and they have there's a di- there's different versions in different cultures all over asia but it's basically this woman's whose head comes off of her body at night and she like sneaks in and she like it flies around with this headless mess with like blood coming down and goes and like uses her tongue to steal fetuses out of pregnant ladies. And they put uh, spikes up on their, uh, the people in these Asian countries put spikes up on their fences so that uh, it keeps these monsters away because otherwise their intestines that are trailing out underneath their, their disembodied heads that have separated from their bodies will get tangled up in the spikes. That That is just an example of some of the buying um, shit that Asians have in their like folklore lexicon yeah. that we I would love to see more of. Yeah, and it's just such a shame to that we do continue to do that um because they even remade the grudge you would like to be like oh we're doing better it was also a very very loose sequel it was terrible the latest grudge that they made what, like two years ago with john cho was terrible but, but john cho <laughs> they put an asian man there but he wasn't even really the main character uh the white woman was the main character again and you're like ah we've come so far in so many ways, but we're still making like remaking Asian movies into American movies and recasting. They're redoing train to Busan, which is another like horror thing that film Twitter loves. It's like a horror kind of action. We'll see how they cast that. So, okay. So like, I understand to a point, this idea that Americans won't watch something that doesn't have white people in it and Americans don't like to read. Like, I guess I understand that. But then I'm trying to like, I'm trying to uh, reconcile that with we make films specifically with the intention of marketing them to Asian markets. Yeah. So I just don't like, I don't know. I think I'm, I imagine that that trend is going to start to change. change. And I think we're going to end up with, at the very least, we're going to have English speaking Asian people uh, in these horror remakes um, because because a a huge portion of the market um, is Asian people that would probably like to see. Yeah. I mean, and of course, of course it happened. (laughs) Asian 
properties being made whitewashed has been probably one of the most predominant things of the 20th century uh, or the 21st century because I mean, from Dragon Ball to all these anime properties, Ghost in the Shell. I mean, because anime is huge. <laughs> talked about Avatar the Last Airbender when we were covering yes. M. Night Shyamalan. There are so many that <laughs> have an been Asian adapted. <laughs> adapted by an Asian man. Like, so that, <laughs> uh, but let's hope. We even, but we did have a Latino version. Um, so within the Conjuring universe recently, they remade, or not remade, but they made a film, The Curse of La Llorona. La Llorona. Which is another terrifying piece of folklore. I did a whole uh, play about folklore from around the world. So that's why I'm like over here, like, yeah. listen, there is some fucked up stories we should be telling because it's yeah. horrible. La Llorona, of course, any kid, any <laughs> Any Latino kid was told about La growing up. So we all know that little folklore uh, to get our ass back inside. I also, night. I'm hoping, I am imagining that this, this trend will, that the trend will be for more diversity and we will I, ideally, so I, the um, proportion of the population that is Latino just keeps getting bigger. And so I can't imagine us not having more films that are coming from this demographic for this demographic about this demographics. It's it's creepy ass folklore. Honestly, white people have like, okay, folklore. Like I, uh, we've got like a few things. We've got like, even like stuff in America, like the Chupacabra, obviously. (laughs) It's like comes up to Texas, but yeah, Yeah, like Chupacabra is like, yeah, it's like American, but it's like, it's very, also very like Southwest. There's like Hispanic American. Straight from the name, like the name itself. We have this like Taylor Poe thing that like lives in the Appalachians and that's like a thing, but like, we just don't have, we don't have the terrifying (laughs) fucking shit that other cultures have. We just don't, I don't know why. I think it, I mean, just speaking from the like Mexican stuff, I think maybe well, no, that's not true, especially in a lot of uh, Mediterranean countries. But there's just this, like, scare your kids into behaving themselves mentality. Yeah. <laughs> so you scare they ass so they don't step like, out of line. I'm thinking about, like, oh, the Irish don't really, I mean, like, they don't have anything really that's that's scary. They have, like, things that are cute and then drop you, <laughs> that are, like, drown you. But, like, they don't have anything that's, like... <laughs> There's nothing like the crash shoe that's like literally fucking terrifying. That is. It makes me think, yeah, I hope it does move forward. And again, we talked about this when we talked about uh, the Purge films uh, in our 4th of July thing, but I'm going to bring them up again here because I know people find them heavy handed and I won't deny that. They they come in with an iron fist with their (laughs) political and socioeconomic messages. The Hunger Games horror literally comes from a concept of like kill the effing rich and like the rich are doing what they can to kill poor people off. Uh, And that's how they view you as (laughs) something that is a burden, really. And we have to we have to thin the herd every year. Um, But what they've done is the first film was about a white family heavily. And then after that. They really diversified it. So all of their casts have been, this last one was really heavily Latino and they were the main characters. There's been a black cast. It's, it's much heavier on diversity than most casts in any other horror franchise. I think that's why I see a lot of more positive reviews coming out of classes of culture review of critics. It seems like that's, those are like, it seems like horror films are, and maybe I'm just a big, being biased, but it seems like horror films are pretty popular among the African-American community. So it does seem strange that we don't have, but like Jordan Peele was the first one to be like, I would like to make horror films for black people. And that's the thing is what I want to get away from is the get out copycats that have come out over the past few years. And they've, they've spread out to other, (laughs) other aspects. Karen. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Well, that and there are several like Karen that have gone totally. I can. We don't even need to see the film. That trailer showed me all I need to know about what this film is doing and saying to just tell you. There are many 
get out copycats that have just gone wayward, including Antebellum last year, which really thought it was saying something and all this bullshit. No, it was oh, so misguided and so frustrating to watch. And you had Janelle Monet in the lead role. Like, oh, the cast was amazing and they all gave it their go, but you were just like, this was flawed heavily from the script. Uh-huh. Um, we do have some fun depictions like Octavia Spencer and Ma uh, just getting to play this deranged woman. <laughs> also, real quick shout out to um, Horror Lovecraft Country. Yes. Which was Lovecraft. not a film, no. but was significantly, that was a good. I wouldn't say get out copycat, but it certainly is. It's like sci-fi horror that focuses on the horror of the, that focuses on black trauma. uh, They used Lovecraft's work to tell (laughs) an impactful story this time. Right. Which is especially (laughs) fun considering uh, from what I've heard, I haven't done a ton of research on it. So you can correct me. I'm pretty sure Lovecraft was a big old racist. Yes. Um, So that's what makes it, even reclaiming that word. Love it. <laughs> but both Let's make that little fucker roll around <laughs> in his grave. Uh, but we both come from the LGBTQ community. That's another community that has had an interesting run with horror throughout the years. It's it's a big part of the queer community. I think partially because it's about being weird and feeling like an outsider one way or another, whether it be that final girl who obviously, at least gay men, and I'm sure gay women love a strong woman coming through and kicking ass so (laughs) they love a final girl but also it just has always had this otherness to it within the horror genre which i think has always gravitated the queer community by and large just like big Mm -hmm. horror people unfortunately they have not (laughs) they've only done the coding for so damn long like it has taken horror way too long to fully embrace the queer community in substantial ways. Uh, I watched this documentary about it and I I know you at least watched the film, but Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yeah. Ruined a man's career, first of all. Uh, Poor man. (laughs) Because he was gay and because of how he was told and how the script was written, he was a final boy, which we, uh, this also probably had a lot to do with killing off the final boy. They're like, oh no, we can't have this. And the fact that that screenwriter still to this day, like denies that he wrote that character to be gay like that is outrageous. But the whole film is gay. Freddie is acting gay. Everybody is gay. It is so gay. There's like a whole- (laughs) They go to a club. They go to a damn BDSM gay bar. Okay. It is literally, a, they literally filmed it at a gay club. So and it is also a gay club in the film. Like, it's not, there's only dudes there. <laughs> it's outrageous that they ever tried to deny it and still to this day. They still but, do. Because they can't, you, they don't want to admit that they ruined this poor guys. dude's career. Yeah. Yeah, so, and that was like, I, I'm trying to think of like other ones. That kind of like- main character things have gotten a little bit better you certainly have a lot more at least main side characters who don't die like Candyman, where he's not the main character but the brother plays a predominant role and, and we're talking about uh freaky, freaky. One. great and that that's a pretty diverse cast it's like a little latino gay boy a black yeah. girl um I- Freaky. I thought that was a super fun film <laughs> yeah. so they're good horror at- comedy and they're fighting oh. they're smart I also enjoy an adult man pretending to be a teenage girl. I think I, that might just be one of my buttons. <laughs> Ren loves Jack Black, so that's all you need to know. Um, that's, that's her thing. Uh, <laughs> also, I will say in that film, there is something about, there's definitely like a little thing about like, he likes her for her, even when she's like... That's him. <laughs> Yeah, there was like a good, I, I actually really liked, it was awkward because obviously this old ass man, um, but it was it was still a really fun, open sexuality type of question to be brought up. I thought that little kid was fun. We've gotten a few smaller ones that have debuted on like specific platforms. One of them is a get out copycat um, where this gay couple, interracial gay couple comes to this town and these town people are like, hmm let's pretend to like the gays and trap them into some crazy thing. Uh, (laughs) So there's fun stuff, but by and large, I think that's why the horror 
it's come a long way certainly to where we're getting overtness and get uh, out definitely helped that i think in so many ways just kick open that door Uh, certainly for black horror that genre has started to really come alive after get out and you love to see it and i think slowly but surely as you said we're still remaking asian films so i think I'm trying to hold that hope, um, especially with like Parasite finally winning and stuff like that, which isn't a horror film, but mm, I mean, it. I think at the end of the day, uh, Hollywood makes films that will make money and the audiences have very clearly and loudly and vocally said, we really want to see something that is not white people. We're kind of bored with the white people thing. We would like some new stories, please. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. <laughs> So that's that's kind of where we are, I'd say, is, yeah, we're finally seeing stuff make money. Nia DaCosta broke records this weekend, becoming the first Black female director to open up her film at number one at the box office. She's going to do it again when... uh, (laughs) She's going to repeat... Oh, um, Captain, Captain Marvel, Marvel. too. She'll be back at number one. <laughs> like she and Tayana Paris are like besties. Huh? Uh, Tayana Paris coming back too to be with her in Captain Marvel too. Uh, we have Chloe Zhao directing now Eternals later this year. So I don't know how I feel about we that. We might <laughs> be we might be getting our first ever female Asian director debuting at number one. I presume we will since it's Marvel. Yeah, it's Marvel. Um, so. Hopefully those doors are are coming open. If we missed any big glaring examples, make sure to let us know in the comments. We'd love to check them out if we missed them. uh, Teeth. That's a good (laughs) feminist film. Horror film that that didn't get enough credit when it came out. Everybody was very uncomfortable with it. And I think it is a, it's a, it's a big piece of like feminist horror. That's, I mean, that's a whole separate conversation. I think like, yeah, we should include women in the diversity conversation, but also I, I think white women have plenty of opportunities to be in horror (laughs) films. So yeah, I I think, I think uh, the feminism in horror films is like a whole separate topic um, that isn't as relevant here when we're talking about Candyman. Yeah. Uh, So (laughs) But I did want to say, since we brought up the final girls, it is a yeah. good example of like a diverse sort of plot line um, that shows a different side of a minority yeah. group. Yeah, definitely. Let us know. Uh, don't yell at us if your picks are like super niche. Uh- <laughs> But I know we are not you. We are not the super duper horror nerds. We did not see this random film that 10 people watched. Um, But leave those recommendations if you want down below. If they are full of diversity goodness, I'm sure either one of us would like to at least give it a shot. And of course, supporting films like Candyman and these diverse films that are actually hard and good. Yeah, none of that none of the garbage get out like Karen bullshit. <laughs> Karen is not a diversity, not a win for diversity, y'all. I just we, need you to realize that. We think we might watch it and then just do an episode about it. terrible horror movies, which is its own wonderful okay. sort of genre. Pirate Karen is what I'm saying. Not saying, but saying. Oh, just don't don't give them your money. Yeah, don't give them your money. Go ahead and watch and laugh and roast, but Let's let's find ways around giving our money. <laughs> but that was our review for Candyman 2021. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, make sure that you are checking us out and following us on Spotify or whatever platform it is that you found our podcast. And if you are watching us here on the video version of our podcast at Chili Boy Productions YouTube channel, hit that subscribe, like the video. And as I said, leave all those recommendations and snarky comments comments in the comments below or find us on twitter and instagram at cinema snarks ren where can they find you on the internet they can find me on twitter at ren manley and they can find me on instagram at rainy poo 13 Perfect. And if you want to come for me specifically, you can find me at Chili Boy YT on Twitter and Chili Boy Productions on YouTube and Instagram. So and if yes. you're in the Denver area and you're interested in horror stuff, 
you should come see Lady Killers Audacious Theater as an immersive production where you get to meet uh, real life serial killers. AudaciousTheater.com. Yeah, make sure if you're in the Denver area, subscribe to Audacious's email newsletter so that you get the notification when those tickets are on sale and where you can buy them. <laughs> and we will see you with our opinions on the next one. Bye. Bye.